0: Welcome to the scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale your scale up business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Tom, uh, the CEO at CoFinster. Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Mike.
0: I'm super hyped to be here. It's a pleasure. And you are coming from Hamburg, so uh, great to have Germany back on, on the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, very happy uh, we started our business in Hamburg and now also expanded to Berlin. Uh, but yeah, very happy to be here, and really looking forward to. Uh, I think we're spending half an hour, forty-five minutes together today, Mike. Right?
0: Exactly. That's that's true. Well done. And uh, for the ones who didn't have yet the pleasure to to get to know you, uh, you have put strap in the business, a very highly profitable business, and then you were able to sold it, and and then you started CoFenster as a, a VC-backed company. So we'll have interesting uh, thoughts about about both tracks. Uh, and the lessons learned in both tracks, but uh, better than me, why don't you tell us a, li- a little bit more about your story uh, and how did you end up uh, building uh, Coffinster?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um I was born in, in Germany and was raised for the first uh, fourteen years uh, in the beautiful uh, Hamburg in the north. And uh, then you know, I wanted to learn English because I was this German kid and you know I didn't speak any English, but I thought it was always really important. so, I asked my parents if I could go to the UK, uh, you know, to study there for a year with 14. So they pulled me out of school, put me in a very new environment. And if you're a 14-year-old kid speaking zero words of English, coming from Germany, going to the UK, <laughs> countryside, <laughs> you know, that's uh, the first time where really uh, you know have to deal with adversity. So that was a very I right. think, uh, long-lasting memory. In a um,
0: controlled environment. So good In a to controlled start
1: environment. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, boys when they're 14 are not very kind uh, <laughs> when it comes to, you know, integrating new people from other countries, etc. So that was uh, a really, uh, really interesting experience, um, but a uh, very successful experience as well. And um, afterwards, uh, went, you know, studied a bit more, went to Copenhagen business school in Denmark, uh, met a bunch of really, really great people. You know, also culturally, uh, Denmark and the Nordics, uh, extremely uh, modern culture, uh, very far ahead. Uh, it was really, really a great experience going to business school there. Um, and then, you know, right. did a, a quick stunt at Harvard uh, in Boston, uh, went to the U.S. Uh, it was Amazing. always a dream since I was a kid. I always wanted to go there uh, and see what it's like and study with some of, you know, the smartest peeps in the world. And um, one of the big learnings was, you know, everybody showers with water at the end of the day. It's a very German saying, uh, translating Uh it to English, but uh, it was really eye-opening that, you know, at the end of the day, there are really smart kids there, but it's, uh, you know, it's very doable um, for also, uh, you know, people coming from overseas, etc. And um, yeah, I went back to Europe, um, lived some time in Zurich in Switzerland, uh, worked for a big uh, consultancy um, and found out very fast that I was neither a good consultant, um, nor was that... uh, (laughs) My place to be uh, working for a big corporate, you know, joining as an analyst, uh, joining you know uh, doing the very sort of very specific, you know highly detail orientated uh, work, um, right. which is not my strength, to be honest with you. I'm good at a few things, but uh, this is not one of them. So um, you know, <laughs> found out that that was my uh, path to go. And then started my first business uh, together with a lifelong friend, uh, Oliver, and business partner. Um, we met when we were playing rugby. Uh, you know, back in the days and uh, always wanted to start a company, you know, did a lot of brainstorming in between. So I started our first business, uh, Collective Brain, in Hamburg, uh, basically a marketing agency um, with uh, over 6,000 freelancers around the world. So we would go and acquire business in Germany, you know, marketing campaigns for clients, but then the people who would actually produce videos, creative assets, build the strategies were distributed all over the world. And um, okay. that was extremely cool because you know you bring your own money, you bring your first. Uh, in Germany, you need uh, twelve and a half thousand euros to start a company. You know you bring your first money, but then you really need to grow from the get-go uh, with clients and uh, sell pretty much in order to survive. Right. And um, build a business the very old-fashioned way of reinvesting, uh, you know, uh, from your free cash flow. And um, that was a really cool experience that I really, uh, you know, that, that uh, some of the fundamental education, if you want, <laughs> exactly. what it's like to Your run a MBA. company. <laughs> yeah, was, a, a MBA. Yeah, <laughs> it was A real MBA. It was a real MBA, you know, a couple of costly uh, mistakes made along the way, but it uh, turned out to be a very great business um, that we were able to, uh, to uh, sell, and then uh, went from there onwards and uh, started our current company, Cofenster and yep. cofenster is a classical vc case so we basically uh, build video software that we sell to enterprise clients mm-hmm. because um if you for example take a you know ceo that wants to do a strategy video once a week to the company you know mm-hmm. right now clients right. have two options either they call the agency and right. pay the agency a dollar and it takes some time or you know they have somebody internally record them But then somebody needs to cut the video, add subtitles, license music for this video, you know, build the branding around it and do a lot of manual work. So we said, hey, you know, there needs to be a software in between where I can record a couple of videos, you know, throw them into the software. And then the software automatically does all the post production. So editing, subtitles, music and makes it look professional. Amazing. And um, that's pretty much Cofenster cool. in a nutshell. And uh, we've been around now for, yeah, two and a half years and grow very tremendously with cool clients all over Germany and Europe uh, and a great team you know, to support that. So uh, it's been a very interesting last uh, 10 years, I would say.
0: Sounds amazing. And uh, kind of the problem that you just described, you found out that problem in, in your uh, previous companies uh, when you were running the agency, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, as an agency, you work for clients, you know, whenever they want to use videos, I don't know, to build an employer brand, right, to show their people or do videos in order to uh, update people around the company, around a new strategy that they want to execute, right? They call the agency and say, hey, Tom, you know, we need this video and we've produced a couple of, you know, material films ourselves because we have really good cameras and everybody is running around with a 5K <laughs> smartphone nowadays. Can you right. fix the material? We're like, what do you mean by fixed material? Yeah, can you make it look nice? <laughs> said, um, you know, you have iMovie on your computer. How about you do it? <laughs> but they said, ah, oh, you know, it's too much work and I can't do editing and right. I don't know how to license music, et cetera. So, you know, as an agency, you say, yes, we do it. But it didn't happen once or twice, but a couple of hundred times. At a certain point, you ask yourself as an entrepreneur, you're like, hmm, shouldn't this be any way to automate? You know, shouldn't right. this be automatic? So um, yeah, looked at the market, found that there's you know some players, but you know not to our liking, um, and with very different use cases. And then you know started really from that building the first MVP, giving it to clients, um, and uh, yeah, being very successful with it.
0: Yeah, in terms of the stage of growth, uh, Tom, you started uh, Center in 2019. Uh, where are you guys at at the moment in terms of ad count? Uh, Fundraising? Any metrics that you'd like to share with, with the audience?
1: Yeah, so 2019 was still the stage where we experimented a lot, and you know, 2020 was really the year where we you know had software that could be used, um, and where you know we officially kicked off you know our client acquisition. And within the last two and a half years, uh, we grew now to uh, 50 people, uh, and we serve you know, over 100 clients in uh, Europe, but with a focus on the DACH region right now. So that's Germany, Austria, Switzerland uh still our core base and, um, yeah, a very um, on a very good traction because we see the topic is really, um, really um, important right now because, you know, you had this whole situation after COVID where people went into uh, remote jobs and, you know, working remotely. And mm-hmm. right now, communicators inside of companies and HR folks, they really are looking to bring people closer together and yes. make the information flow. That was beforehand, you know, at the coffee machine everywhere. You know, right. bring that and synchronize that in a form that is consumable, also for our age group, right? And exactly. video is a great format because you like to watch it. You can retain 9,000 times more information than reading a text. Uh, it is more entertaining, sure. but it's very hard to produce. It's very hard to produce, and that's where we come in and say, "Hey, whatever you want to communicate, you know, is here for you." And you can, you know, do it in five minutes. Produce a video instead of building this big PowerPoint presentation to update internal stakeholders.
0: Uh, absolutely, and uh, hey, it, and it's an art that requires a lot of training to to kind of be able to send the right message uh, for for the team. Uh, it also requires certain communication skills from the leader to to be able to prepare the message. Right?
1: Absolutely, it's. Um... It's um, not only from a leadership, so, you know, it, people are using Cofenster in all sort of different capacities, you know, from an intern who has his first or her first day, right, and does a <laughs> quick introduction. It's like, hey, my name is Tom. I'm an intern here. I'm yes. looking forward to Good it. Point. All up until the CEO. So it's very, you know, cross-functional and not only reserved for leadership, um, yeah. but really broad application. And, you know, we mostly uh, help out uh, corporate communications as a team and human resources, because these are very, two very strong cases uh, where they have a lot of uh, need to communicate in a very empathetic way and really get their message across. Right,
0: and, and this is an important point in terms of uh, go-to market you, um, you are more focused on enterprise, right? Uh, at, yeah. at the moment and much more, as you were saying, not in, in, being industry agnostic and use case, uh or or specific specific right yeah Uh, yeah um yeah for instance you you shared with me when when we were preparing uh this conversation that for instance you you don't go to to the marketing team uh for for specific reasons right
1: yeah and i think you have to be very precise you know uh, which pain point do you solve and who can profit from your solution and uh you know, for us, we found out that marketing, you know, they have very specific editing needs. So they want to, you know, produce all kind of, you know, fancy edits for external communication for ads, et cetera. Um, but that is not co-fenced it's core because our strength is that anybody can use it. Hence it's super simple, but also, uh, you know, we take care of the full branding process automatically. And if you do something very simple and automatic, right? You right. cannot be super specific and build editing features, which marketing needs. So that's why we said we focus on uh, human resources and corporate communications um, as a first go to market strategy to really, you know, find our niche and exploit that niche uh, a little bit like Amazon did in the early days, you know, be very good and then expand from right. there.
0: Right. Uh, and there is something that's really uh, helped you to have this mentality, um, that is super important in a, in, a, in a SaaS player, which is to, to always add value to, to the customer and uh, across all, all the team uh, squad from the SDR to the AE to the CSM to the account manager. Um, so could you explain a little bit better why that, mind, that agency mindset helped you to, to build a more sustainable uh, SaaS uh, business?
1: Um, I wouldn't necessarily only put it on the agency mindset, but it's, I would say, a more general mindset of value creation that at right. the end of the day, we sell reoccurring uh, software. So, you know, we charge people every month, every year, and we mm-hmm. hope to serve them for, you know, five plus years. So at the end of the day, it's really important that a customer, when they come to us and you know, purchase our product, that they, you know, receive value every month, because for us, reoccurring revenue equals reoccurring value. So we've really, you know, really training teams to make sure that even, you know, when they go to a website, they find a use case, they receive some value, they talk to an SDR, so sales development representative, uh, you know, when they're on the phone, they really understand what's your pain point, uh, you know, can I help you, Mike, today? Uh, what does the help mm-hmm. look like? All right. so you might go in and say, hey, right now we have a lot of videos, but we have extremely high agency costs that we want to reduce and we want to also do that faster. You know, then I can understand, okay, that's your pain point. Once you talk to our account executive, you know, they can be like, hey Mike, I understood, you want to reduce some costs and you want to become faster. And you sign a contract, you, know, you get a customer success manager that helps you along the journey also go and really understand, okay, you know my friends here on the sales side, they sold you on this pain point. Let me make sure that once you get onboarded and we check in after a couple of weeks, that you're really achieving what you came here for. And that sort of mentality of following a red thread from the website to you know, being a happy customer um, is really beneficial because at the end of the day, you know it's the customers that pay our bills and pay our salaries. And we make, need to make nice. sure that you know, they are happy and they get the impact that they came for. And um, I think that experience and that service experience along the way is something really at the core of what we do.
0: Love it. That's, that's a great point to align uh, all the, the members of the team that are in touch with the customer to be able to to, have, to provide an amazing customer experience and of course to fulfill the needs um, of the customer uh, along the way. It's a great point. So you, you also talked about kind of the international expansion that at the moment you are focused on on, on Dach and, and Nordics and, and then evolving to other European countries. But much more from a perspective of expanding those enterprise accounts, right? So typically, you acquire customers in in DACH and in, in the Nordics, and then you expand those those accounts across uh, across across Europe because those are large, big enterprise companies. Right?
1: Yeah, and it's um, it's a very active choice in terms of go to market um, because especially with B two B and enterprise. Uh, If you want to acquire new customers from the get go in, let's say America, you know, you need American reps, you need people on the ground. It's very expensive and, um, you know, there's a big potential for the market, but you also need a lot of funding, especially if you come from Europe and want to enter, you know, such a big uh, and very competitive market as well. So, you know, for a series A company where we focus on is like, really, how can we grow, you know, our existing customer base across the world? Because it's a different conversation if you have a very good standing relationship with a big corporation here in Germany, right, and they have dependencies all over the world, you know, you have a really good reference case, you already, you know, through procurement, you have a vendor number. So it makes it a lot easier for people all over the world to then purchase you because they can call up a colleague and say, hey, Mike, you know, you've been using Cofenster in Germany and Austria for the last, you know, years, Um, you know, how do you like their service? What are they adding in terms of value? And then you can really, you know, it's an easier expansion. Then if right. we go to you in the U S and, you know, start from scratch. So a very conscious choice. And, um, yeah, it's also, you know, certainly not easy because enterprise sales always requires, you know, a lot of grit, and really you know people that go after it and also search for these conversations. Um, yeah, but, uh, really happy with the approach. Uh,
0: and, and still it is important to have a multicultural team then to be able to to, to speak the language uh, of, uh, of those new teams. But at the same time, being in enterprise, usually they are fluent in English. So it might be easier um, to deal with, with those enterprise customers as well. Right?
1: Yeah. And um, it's also, I mean, you know, language is one part, but, you know, at the end of the day, you need uh, people who can build relationships and sales because, um, you know, I have experiences from my travels and living, you know, all over the place. That people you know they buy if they feel comfortable with you and they trust you as a person uh, even if you're english or your french etc it's not at 100 <laughs> you know people are people are quite yeah. forgiving when it comes to this exactly. um, it's about relationship building and making sure they trust you and also they trust in that purchase because at the end of the day you know they have to report to somebody and you know they have to justify why did they you know spend right. i don't know 10 20 000 us dollars a year uh, on the software so this whole yeah. trust factor um, is really really important.
0: Absolutely, and just giving one step back into your initial uh, experience from from building your uh, your agency to uh, uh, one million plus, highly profitable business in a bootstrapped uh, fashion. Uh, what made you decide to start a VC packet company and, and to move from a highly profitable business to, uh, let's say, an even more scalable business with a, uh, being very aggressive in terms of uh, growth rates as well? I know you did a great job because in in your agency you you got to one million plus in in revenue in in very short period of time. Considering it was bootstrapped in and a services company, and uh, we we should say that it's it's not an easy job uh, at well uh, um, at all. Uh, so, but uh, what made you decide to move to start another company with a in a VC bucket uh, track, let's say? <laughs>
1: So, I would say there's two angles. Uh, One of them is a personal angle um, of aspiration. Um, Me and my partner, um, Oliver, we really, you know, from the get go, we said we want to build a scalable company uh, at some point because we think on a personal level, we really looked for that breadth of experience and really, you know, playing uh, Champions League in terms of growth aspirations because, you know, there's very two very different. Uh, aspirational goals, depending on, you know, building a very profitable business versus a scale-up VC back. uh, So that was the personal angle. And then the second angle was the market opportunity. Uh, We saw that, you know, there's a lot of stars aligned, right? People, 10 years ago, you could have not built Cofenster because people didn't have, you know, phones or webcams that could produce high-quality videos. So suddenly you have a Uh, situation where timing was right. The market is really asking for more video content inside of companies. And you see that there's also client demand, and you're in a good situation to match these three pillars and say, wow, there's a big opportunity here. Uh, and the timing was right. So I would say this, you know, these two major tracks between personal and market and traction timing. Right.
0: And something that I think it helps a lot is uh, and you have mentioned already a couple of times, your co-founder, uh, Oliver, is to be able to uh, and this is something that usually It's one of the main pains of starting a company is to find the right co-founder, especially in a VC bucket one, because you are expected to use technology to scale the business. So usually you need kind of a a technical co-founder and there is a lot of uh, assumptions about the way we should build founding teams to start a VC bucket uh, business. But at the end of the day... You need to trust and you need to have a great relationship with your co-founder to build a big business. And we know that one of the most important reasons of failure of a startup or any business is conflict uh, between uh, founders. So I, I believe that it, it is being critical that you you have met the right co-founder to build businesses with. Right? Absolutely.
1: And it's a huge uh, trust factor as well. Um, so Oliver and I, we you know we start our first business, then started our second business, and then we lacked that, you know, technical angle. Uh, so we found a third co-founder, for co uh, you know, Finn, who uh, was the CTO, and really built, you know, the first infrastructure, the first MVP, you know, the first actually running version. Um, and then, you know, between the technicalities of having, you know, strong technical skills and you know a matching founding team there's obviously also a huge trust factor uh, involved. And I think that is the foundation for any, you know, successful relationship, as I also you know, mentioned with clients, but especially between co-founders, uh, you know, I've known Oli for no, <laughs> a very, very long time. Uh, you know, we grew up together, uh, you know, did sports together, built two companies together now. So nice. uh, it's really important to have that sort of trust level and somebody where I would say, you know, whatever happens, I blindly trust that person uh, to do yeah. what is in my interest uh, and um, that is something, you know, where we can be very fortunate to have, uh, you know, found such a very strong working relationship.
0: And how do you guys split responsibilities? So you said that your third co-founder uh, is the technical person, uh, The those two initial uh, co-founders from previous adventures. Uh, how, how do you split responsibilities between the both of you?
1: So... Um... At the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, what are your strengths and where can you put uh, a person on a playing field to really, you know, make the best of their time. So I always compare it a little bit to sports. I'm actually not a big football fan, but it's the closest analogy that most people really get. You know, if you have somebody who is a really good goalkeeper, uh, there's no point in trying to train that person to be a good striker. You want that person to be the best goalkeeper in the world and put them in a position where that person can succeed. Um, and the other way around. So, you know, we really, at the end of the day, looked at, you know, what are our strengths? Where do we want to play on the field? Uh, and then that's how we assemble teams in general, no matter if it's co-founders or also, uh, you know, your uh, your team at CoFenster. It's really mm-hmm. making sure that people are in their best spots, uh, you know, to uh, get the right. best performance. Right.
0: And I think there's a critical step, especially at 50 plus uh, in in terms of the ad count of the the company, which is the evolution from a founding team to a leadership team. And that leadership team also needs different versions as the business um, scale. So how has been this evolution from the free co-founders to start adding more members to a leadership team to lead the business to a new stage of growth?
1: So at the end of the day, we were very fortunate um, to have, you know, to find very great people early on um, and, you know, organically uh, uh, build our company. And at the end of the day, it's then that step where you need to trust and need to make sure that people have a very clear North star and, you know, very clear responsibilities, um, you know, where you check in with them and see, okay, you know, what can I do as a leader to enable that person to really, you know, hone in on that one KPI that they have, but it's about, you know, letting go and then, Building trust and letting these people run and manage their own days, their own weeks, and their own teams. So you know that's obviously with a lot of learnings involved, and it's always really difficult as a founder, you know, to let go at the right moment. And sometimes uh, you know you find you should have let go maybe a couple of months earlier. Sometimes you understand, ah, oh, you know, maybe you should have been mm-hmm. a little bit closer for a couple of months. So you know, there's right. just obviously a lot of learning involved. But uh, uh, one of the biggest one is you know define a clear goal. That's leadership responsibility. And then measure that goal, break it down in KPIs, and then have people yeah. own different KPIs of the business uh, on the operational level.
0: Right, set the direction, ensure that we have the right people on the right seats, and uh, and also uh, don't forget to to have enough capital to uh, to keep growing the business so and in in that sense you also raised uh, a series a recently uh, how has been the journey of the business in terms of uh funding rounds and any tips that you'd like to share with with the ones who are listening who are going through uh, the same challenges
1: yeah so in total we raised uh around 10 million us dollars across uh, two rounds so c found series a round um and i think one of the the biggest learnings was that in order to make sure that the business survives and thrives as well, right? you need the right people on board as well, especially from an investor point of view as well. They need to be very right. in- aligned in, you know where do you want to take the company, uh, You know what are your goals, and make sure that you have a very uh, you know uh, solid trust factor uh, involved. So Also during fundraising, you meet some people you know, where you immediately have a gut feeling of this will probably not work because I'm not sure if I wouldn't want to w- work with that person. I would say really, you know, trust your gut uh, with this one, because, you know, if relationships start off like that, they'll probably continue like that. Um, yep. But we are very lucky to find a really cool investors, um, you know, who share our vision um, of what we want to do with Cofenster and are uh, extremely helpful as well with uh, everything they do uh, around the business. And um, so, you know, that I think gut feeling factor is really important when you choose a partner. And that doesn't matter right. if, you know, it's in the personal life, it's in professional life if it's a vc In if it's a new hire yeah um it's a lot where you know your brain decides uh and then you need to listen to your gut as well and match these two things and um, if you have the luxury to do so right obviously that's also a very privileged comment uh, exactly. you know if
0: there's have the there's, option to choose your investors <laughs>
1: if there's you know if there's only uh, one option um you know obviously uh, that <laughs> slims it down very much
0: Exactly. And uh, uh, something that uh, is also important to um, to discuss in uh, in this regard is I've, I've been seeing a trend of skipping the pre-seed round also because it implies um, some dilution and for the, for the companies who, who have the luxury to do that, that, that's great because again, it's another 10 to 15 to 20% uh, round it seems that you went directly to the seed round and then to the to the A round, right? Also because maybe you have exited your previous business and you were able to invest a bit upfront to to build the second one.
1: Yeah, we invested a little bit upfront, but then we also had one very big angel, um, you know, who did okay. an angel oh. ticket, which is like a pre-seed round, um, who put yeah. a lot of trust <laughs> into us. Um, but I'm not so dilution sensitive, to be honest with you, because at the end of the day, you know, if you go down the vc back road uh, you know your goal is to build a, you know a multi billion dollar company yeah. um, and then dilution becomes less important especially in the earlier rounds because what you need is good partners enough capital to really go in. Right. Uh, and you know the goal is here to make the cake a lot bigger uh, right. figuratively speaking so um, i wouldn't try to optimize for dilution early on too much obviously it's important but you know i think a lot of times entrepreneurs like overestimate how important it is
0: Right. That, that's really a good point. So be careful to, at least as, as we see uh, the common advice, especially to, to have interest from uh, future uh, investors to join you, that you need to get to Series A at least with 50, 60% of, uh, of the capital. But don't be too greedy because, uh, again, if you don't have the right people around you, you will not be able to, to get there. So uh, why the, <laughs> should we have all, all the capital and, and be uh, optimizing for dilution if, if we are not able to get to to that stage? If we get to that stage already too diluted, it, it might be also not interesting to be able to, uh, to, to have the best investors joining us. So... But usually if the business is too good, the metrics so good, uh, it's it's a difficult process, but investors are able also to uh, restructure a little bit the cap table to be able to ensure that the founders uh, still have the right incentives to, to keep uh, pushing the business forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, it's always a negotiation exactly
0: <laughs> I know there is a topic that you really enjoy to um, to talk about uh which is clearly this kind of uh the VC bucket CEOs the VC bucket founders uh, are the rock stars uh of today and uh, and of course also go through the ups and downs of being a rock star as we are seeing with uh, with the VC industry um nowadays but there is this uh, perception from the outside, especially the ones who have never been on 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 the shoes of a, a VC-backed founder, that everything is amazing. That you that you you get to a podcast, you get to a, to a magazine, to a ranking, to a list of the the best or most promising startups to to watch in in twenty two. And, uh, and 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 we know that there is a lot of burnout there is a lot of mental health issues there is so much pressure and it's it's not an easy uh, journey uh, at all right so being more vulnerable being more authentic it's something that we also are are seeing changing uh, on social media and people being more open especially in our generation so what, what are your thoughts about this evolution on the on on the glorification of a few people that's that seem that their lives are perfect
1: well i mean on a very high level you know we all have 80 hopefully 90 years to spend on this very beautiful planet um so i think we need to make sure that you know we choose a path that is in our best interest in terms of you know maximizing whatever you want to maximize so first i think you know people need to understand what do i want to do with my life right what are some of the goals what are some of the milestones that i want to achieve um, and then compare yourself to, uh, you know, your your version yesterday versus comparing yourself to a lot of other people. And especially, I think, in the, you know, in the startup industry, it's all about, you know, headcount, dollars raised, <laughs> etc. And if that's your goal, right, if that makes you happy and if uh, that's what really you're after, right, that's a good comparison. But um, I think for very few people... Uh, that's really you know the way forward and I think there's a lot of especially from our grandparents you know that generation they build very long-lasting big companies you know very gradual over time and uh, I think now especially if you look at the last two years you know 2021-2022 was crazy and I think these times are probably never coming back when you you know have companies with 100-500 times you know uh, uh, multiple on the on their top line revenue where you know VCs just poured money into it. I think, you know, now we're probably reverting a little bit back to the medium being, you know, profitable growth and somewhat sustainable growth in order to build great businesses. Um, So I think that market has also shifted a lot. And I think it's also really important, uh, you know, for people just to really understand what they want to achieve and then build businesses in line with their personal aspirations. Because otherwise, you know, people will get burned out over time if they're just trying to uh, satisfy external needs. Uh, and if they're not aligned with their personal needs, and um, I think a lot of younger entrepreneurs now are also very good at, you know, talking about this openly about the challenges, you know, that are, you know, in the room. And it's like the big elephant, you know, if you work a lot and put your whole life and dedication towards one goal being your company, um, you know, it's also really important to understand, you know, when you need rest and uh, when you sometimes need to deep breathe because there's natural uh, phases where you can be extremely productive and really work and hone in on your goal. But there's also times where, you know, you need to uh, take the opposite road and understand it's uh, really a marathon and not a sprint. So I think, especially for younger entrepreneurs, you know, that mix and that understanding, what do I want, right? And also uh, that certain level of self-love to understand, you know, sometimes I don't have a productive week. Jesus Christ, you know, it is what it is. Um, We're all humans and it's completely normal sometimes to, you know, uh, shut your laptop off in the evening and be like, fuck it, I'm done. i will i will chill now i will enjoy myself now um so i think that's really important and something i also had to learn because at the beginning when you start a company like i need to work 24 7 and it's really really important and you know everything is important everything is urgent at the same time um
0: survival mode as well yeah
1: and you know at times that's the best mode and you really need to kick in right it's a i think a personality trait that you need to have Um, but at the same time you also need to understand when it's time Uh, If it's not a productive week, you know, acknowledge it and dig in next week again. So I think that, you know, having both sides of the coin is really important and should also, you know, be spoken very openly about. And I just read a LinkedIn LinkedIn post, really cool LinkedIn post from a friend of mine in London. They're building a really great business and said, you know what? Uh, It's Monday. I'm super demotivated. I'm uh, stopping at 3 p.m. and I'm going to play football with my friends Um, and I'm going to attack again tomorrow. You know, sharing something like that very openly on LinkedIn. Uh, I think it's, it's uh, yeah, it's quite cool because it just puts, you know, makes you more human and everybody can relate to it. Like every single yeah. person on this planet, maybe not Elon Musk, but, you know, all the other <laughs> 99.9% of the population can.
0: Exactly. And and it's good to see also the mindset uh, also changing across VCs and also some VCs also sending that message, right? In the past, it was this idea that uh, the entrepreneur needs to be kind of the slave and needs to be all in, and uh, needs to be sleeping in the office and uh, not wasting a single uh, euro. And uh, you know that kind of mindset. And we are seeing a different kind of entrepreneur, that in the entrepreneur, that also has the conditions to have a life where you build um, the business at at the same time. So you don't need to kill yourself. Uh, building a company so kind of it, it, it makes me think of that old quote uh, it's incredible how uh, how men uh, lose their elf to get rich and then spend their fortune to get to 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 recover their elf. right i'm, I'm not sure who, who what was the quote and who, who said it but uh that's a bit I'm seeing that I'm seeing that there is a new trend that uh, you need to enjoy the moment, to enjoy the now and to be happy today and not to work to be happy tomorrow because you never know if you'd be you'll be here to tomorrow right?
1: Yeah, and I think you know we can take a lot of uh, advice from athletes because you know athletes are really, I think you know the best uh, people of understanding energy levels and when to really sprint and go you know full right. out all in. Versus in a race, you know, where you need to preserve your energy and kind of get into a a, a trot. So I think, you know, that mentality also on entrepreneurship level is super, super helpful. And both is very necessary. So it is hard work. People need to understand it's hard work and, uh, you know, need to sign up for that journey. Um, But I think, you know, these sort of different energy levels and understanding how do I recoup my energy as well. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people, I don't think, uh, you know, a lot of people have figured it out perfectly yet because, uh, you know, um, active regeneration um, it's when you run. You know, you start to run slower, but you continue to run. So for me, it's also on the weekends. You know, I like to you know debrief, but I also educate myself. I read a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts. You know, I do sports, and uh, that for me is a you know active calm down. It's not fully, but it's you know you're still in that mode where you still learn, you still grow, uh, but at the same time, um, you know you're minding your your own health very much.
0: Exactly and uh, before we go to the last segment of the show um any final thoughts any any plans for the future uh for Kofenster? uh any any final advice for the ones who are listening before we get to the last segment of the show Tom? uh
1: i would say have fun doing it no? i mean if uh if if you if you encounter times where you know it's, it's completely fine to have bad days here and there right but if it's a uh, Too much, uh, it's like change it, leave it, love it. You know, that's really my mentality. Either you change what you're doing, right? Uh, You leave it or you start loving it and, you know, really enjoy uh, the grind. So I think that's extremely important. And with CoFenster, we're building a really, really great and big business. And we see it, you know, there's so much client interest, so much positive force. And for me, it's like, you know, it's exactly where I want to be uh, with my time. uh, And um, I've really figured out that's my mojo. I want to build great companies. That's what we're doing here. So really happy. You know, and um, everything else is very much secondary.
0: Well and uh, <clears throat> let let's start with uh, the first three self-reflective questions. Uh, if you had, had the opportunity to have a coffee with yourself at the beginning of uh, Cofinster, what advice would you offer to your younger Tom? <laughs>
1: Um, well, a very good uh, friend and a mentor of mine uh, once told me that, you know, there's a concept of uh, 15 seconds of courage each day, uh, and I really believe in it and something I would have liked to have uh, known a lot earlier. So the idea behind it is, you know, we all have these situations in our day where we need some courage, where our initial reaction is, I don't want to do it it's awkward or whatever. But really putting that mental state in and being like once a day for 15 seconds, I'm going to be super courageous and do what feels uncomfortable and really put myself out there. That could be, you know, you meet some interesting person in a cafe, you go walk over there, introduce yourself. It could be on that client call where, you know, you want to get to the next stage and ask for budget and budget approval and budget holders, uncomfortable situation, go for it, do it. Right? It's in the salary negotiation where, you know, you really need to hone down and get that extra mm-hmm. step. So that 15 yeah. seconds each day, right, puts you in a state where you're constantly, every day, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and growing. I think that's, yeah. uh, you know, one of the best advice I've ever received and I try to live it, by it every day. Um, and really great things come out of it.
0: Great one. And so always winning the, the fear component, right? So being able to overcome the fear to the other side. I think it's... It's what also builds more uh, courage. I really love that concept. So, and what are you the most proud on your journey so far?
1: Uh, that I sleep very good at night. Um, you know, every time I go to bed, I I, I do not look over my shoulder. Important. Um, it's very important for me. And that's the proudest thing, I think, um, because whenever you build companies or just generally in life, you have these situations where, you know, you can take uh, shortcuts, you can screw people over, you can do things which maybe get you ahead in that moment a little bit but long time you build up, you know, a closet of skeletons. And, and I can, you right. know, on a personal level say that uh, this is not the case. And, you know, I really do not have to look over my shoulder and, uh, you know, staying very true to yourself. And I think being very fair with people you deal with on a daily basis, uh, something that makes you sleep very good at night. Uh, you know, that's really important to recover as well.
0: <laughs> Great mindset. Worst advice ever received?
1: Well, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a tough tough question um but to be honest with you when i was a kid uh, my dad told me that i could uh, eat the banana peel right so uh, when... <laughs> and to be honest to be honest with you mike not kidding uh, i had a, i had a situation where my school teacher told me like you know she looked at me very confused she said what are you doing because i was eating the banana as a whole thing uh, and i always thought bananas are the most you know awful thing on this planet uh, until you know, yeah. I figured out that uh, my dad fucked with me, and he was like, "No, she's <laughs> <was> like, <laughs> stop eating the banana." <laughs> Looking back, probably definitely the worst advice I've ever seen on the culinary side of things.
0: <laughs> and, and we can kind of uh, try to extract the lesson learned there, which is when when someone, because is senior to you, tells you that something should be done in a certain way, uh, check. Check, do, do a double check on that. <laughs> Trust me. And, and then the resource list. Uh, your favorite book, business, non-business?
1: Um, so my absolute favorite book in the world is uh, The Prophet from uh, Kali Gibran. Um, okay. It's a book on poetry, uh, very short. And he basically takes, uh, you know, uh, every instance of sort of our life, you know, from love to business to partnership, friendship. Cuisine, everything, and that's just uh, you know two pages with the most distilled uh, life advice in in a very poetic way. Um, I always gift it to people who um, you know become fathers, start a business. Um, I read it very very often, like once a week probably. Um, it's probably wow. the most impactful book on uh, my journey. Um, it's non business.
0: Love it. Well done, uh, Tom. Thanks for sharing. I will take a look at that one. Favorite movie. <laughs> or series Wow,
1: well, chef's table is definitely uh i think my favorite series uh, i think netflix has really uh you know hit one out the park here uh, just the aesthetics of food uh of culinary scene uh, uh-huh. is amazing um uh, that is i would say from also you know non-business uh, best one i've uh, so far encountered and uh, maybe from a business side of film is uh, jerry mcquire uh you know, mm-hmm. it's a sports comedy drama film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a favorite That's quote I always quote to my sales team, uh, show me the money. Uh, it's really good <laughs> for entrepreneurs. And I don't like Tom Cruise as a person, but a great actor in that film. <laughs> I <can> highly <laughs> recommend it.
0: Got it. And finally, your favorite podcast, uh, excluding this one.
1: Excluding this one, I was about to say scale up <laughs> Um Thank I think, you. Uh, you know, for SaaS founders, uh, SaaS uh, amazing, uh, super super condensed information. I would have loved uh, to have known this a lot earlier. And 20 VC uh, from Harry, also a really really great podcast. Two of the podcasts I listen to every week. Um, yeah.
0: Uh, super amazing. And, and both, both done uh, very often by the same host, uh, Ari Stavings, right? So yeah, uh, it's definitely doing a, a great job. Uh, fully agreed. Uh, and congrats to, to Ari and uh, and to Jason Lemkin for, for the disaster uh, podcast and, and conferences and show and articles and uh, LinkedIn posts and, and, and so on. And um, Tom, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show. You are always invited to come back to to keep sharing the, the next chapters of your journey. And uh, thanks so much for making the time.
1: Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, it's been a real pleasure being here today.
0: Likewise, and to our community, thanks for being there. Uh, we keep inspiring you and making your life a little bit easier as you scale our business. See you soon and keep scaling.